BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, July 14th, is just moments away. But it's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Teachers Union. Thank you, unions. You're all awesome. Also, today's Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you by Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, there's Monroe, what to eat, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com. Check it out. And if you want to help out this program, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. And you can become a binhead. It is Wednesday, July 14th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns, and also making his long-awaited return, Michael Malcolm. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Black Power Wednesday, and here's why. Because black voters are flexing their political muscle. That's why. And it's having a political impact everywhere I look, both good and bad. Let's start with the good. In New York City, Eric Adams, a black man, a former cop, Brooklyn Borough president, wins the Democratic nomination for mayor. We've been talking about this for the last two weeks, folks, and we'll be talking about it for a while because it means there's an ideological showdown in the Democratic Party. He'll probably be the next mayor of New York City, as there's no way, absolutely no way, New Yorkers are dumb enough to vote for Curtis Sliwa, the Trump-loving nutcase who's the Republican candidate. Chicago voters wouldn't even vote for him. Just teasing you, Chicago voters. I, I know you're smarter than that. Uh, in third place in the New York primary was Maya Wiley, a black woman. The thing is, New York City is not a majority of black residents, not even a plurality of black residents. Black residents are roughly 24% of the population. Whites are 43%. That means white people are voting for black candidates. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking to go, Ben, why are you obsessed with race? But you got to understand, I'm an old guy. I came of age in the days of Mayor Harold Washington. I watched white people in Chicago lose their collective minds over the prospect of a black man as mayor. When Harold Washington won the primary in 1983, over 90% of the white people voted for Bernie Epton, his Republican candidate. Actually, it's not true. I misread that. Over 80% of the white people voted for Bernie Epton, his Republican candidate. And then when Harold Washington was victorious, 28 white aldermen rallied around Ed Burke and Ed Verdoliak to oppose him every step of the way. 
And in 1987, when it came time for Harold Washington to run for re-election, white politicians in Chicago fought over who had to drop out of the race to run against him because the standard conventional thinking, and Monroe knows this, he's listening, he knows what I'm saying is absolutely true. The standard conventional thinking is that you cannot have more than one person of any race in an election because that would split the vote. And without rock solid support among whites, the white candidate would lose. And conversely, without rock solid support among black voters, the black candidate would lose. And so the conventional thinking in Chicago from that point on was that black political wannabe mayor candidates had to get together to decide who would drop out of the race and who would stay in the race, or they'd run as uh, third-party candidates in uh, the general election after the Democratic primary was over. And no, absolutely no white political figure in Chicago dared to run the Democratic primary against Richard Daley because they didn't want that spoiler label. Monroe knows what I'm talking about. Anyone over the age of 55 knows exactly what I'm talking about. That was the conventional thinking. Not just in Chicago, but in Philly with Mayor Wilson Good, and in Boston with candidate Mel King, and in New York City with David Dinkins, and in California with gubernatorial candidate Tom Bradley. But I didn't hear New York City folks talking about black people splitting the vote or white people splitting the vote. It's an ideological divide these days. Eric Adam represented centrists. Wiley was backed by the AOC crowd. This tells me something I never would imagine happening back in the 80s. White people are voting for black candidates. I know, I know. We saw this with Barack Obama, but we're seeing it again and again. It's a reality. The New York Times has a rundown of the black candidates who are triumphant in New York. I'm going to read through some of these names. Monroe, I hope you're listening. This is pretty astounding for an old timer like me. Alvin Briggs, likely to be the first black district attorney of Manhattan, having won the Democratic nomination. He has sounded alarms about police brutality. Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who represents parts of Westchester County, is the state Senate majority leader. Richie Torres, who identifies as Afro-Latino, claimed a congressional win representing South Bronx. He's also the first openly gay legislator from that area. Jamal Bowman defeated the longtime Congressman Elliot Engel in a district covering parts of Bronx and Westchester County. This is significant, Monroe. Hakeem Jeffries, New York's highest-ranking House Democrat, could be in line to become the first black speaker of the House. Remember that name, Hakeem Jeffries. Donovan Richards, a former New York City council member, is narrowly leading his battle to be elected for Keensboro president. And uh, Jermaine Williams, New York City's public advocate, easily won his primary and is one of New York's most prominent younger left-wing leaders. So we have centrists and lefties. Don't forget that Hakeem Jeffries name. Uh, yes, he's in line to replace Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's also leading an ideological charge on behalf of incumbents against AOC-backed insurgents, including Keena Collins right here in Illinois. So the story in the Post today, Washington Post, says Hakeem Jeffries is leading a team blue pack, giving money to Congressman Dana Davis. This is black political power. And what it means for ordinary people on the streets, I cannot say, but it's reality. You know what else is a reality? And you know this is coming. The backlash. In this case, the backlash is coming from Republicans. The funny thing is MAGA will vote for a black Republican who champions the MAGA cause. They love Senator Tim Scott, South Carolina, and they love Ben Carson, Monroe's favorite cabinet member. But they don't <laughs> but they don't particularly like black voters. Why? Because black people won't fall in line just because a candidate is black. They're too pragmatic for that. I saw it happen in Michigan. 
The Republicans ran John James, a black conservative, against Gary Peters, the incumbent white senator. Peters won in part because of the large turnout from black voters in Detroit. In fact, if Trump had got his way and talked those election judges in to, in Michigan into throwing out the black votes in Detroit, James would have been elected. So the Republican strategy is to counter black political power by keeping black people from voting. That's what the fight in Texas is all about, make it less convenient for folks to vote. Now they're taking it one step further. Attorney General Ken Abbott is prosecuting Hervis Rogers, a black man, for trying to vote. Years ago, her, Rogers did time for burglary. He was out on parole. He got attention for waiting in line for six hours to vote. Republicans obviously did a little investigation when they saw Rogers in the news, found out he was on parole. It's against the law to, quote, and knowingly vote while you're out on parole. And so Attorney General Paxton pounced, ordered Rogers arrested, charged with felony of vote, a felony of vote fraud that could bring him 20 years in prison, 20 years for trying to vote. Paxson defended the charges, tweeting, quote, Hervis is a felon, rightly barred from voting under Texas law. I prosecute voter fraud everywhere we find it. What about frauds like yourself and Trump? Are you going to prosecute yourself? By the way, Paxson is under state investigation accused of felony securities fraud for allegedly persuading investors to buy technology stock without disclosing his own financial interests. Let's hope he gets convicted and that he will lose the right to vote. If the Republicans had an ideology that they believed in that, that could win over the Hervis Rogers of the world with their positions on things like climate change or taxes or immunization, I'd kind of respect them in a weird way. But they have no plan to win over black voters. So their only plan is to keep black voters from voting. You know, in some ways, nothing has changed from the 1980s. As soon as black people flex their political power, the white backlash comes. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson is sitting by, the legendary Monroe Anderson. I know he listened to what I said. And he's thinking about it. He's going to come up with some kind of interesting rebuttal uh, or thoughts on it. And Michael Malcolm will be joining us, a weed a travel food blog. I'll be talking about uh, cannabis law in, in uh, Chicago, politics in Chicago and Illinois, uh, and nationwide, some crime issues as well. So, uh, Monroe? Welcome back, Monroe Wednesday. All right. It's good to be back. So my theory about black political power is that it almost always inspires one kind of backlash or another. You and I lived through the backlash of the 80s when Harold Washington was elected. And now we're seeing the Republican backlash of the 2020s. Your thoughts? Uh, this is this is how it goes with. The, that segment of America that's white supremacists, mainly. And, um, I mean, that's that's why we had the Jim Crow laws. I mean, because black, there were blacks in Congress right, uh, during Reconstruction. And um, that changed when, when they dismantled Reconstruction. The South was able to get... Who was it? Um, Johnson, I think, President Johnson, the first Johnson, mm -hmm. who um, did, did did in Reconstruction. And then they set up all these green, green, um, Jim Crow laws to make blacks, again, sec second-class citizens. Uh, this was the first time we were second-class citizens. And um, 
you couldn't vote. They, they came up with the, you had to guess how many uh, beans, jelly beans were in a jar to vote. Or, or you had to pay to be able to vote. And they came up with all sorts of obstacles to keep blacks from voting uh, because their worst nightmare was to have a bunch of black people in charge, which meant they had power. And, and that's what's happened. You, 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 you ran through the list in New York. I mean, if you, you could go through the list in Illinois just as easily. Uh, we, 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 we have um, a lieutenant governor, black woman. We have an attorney general. Is that what Kwame's title Kwame is? Attorney general, yeah. yep. Attorney general. The president of uh, Cook County is a black woman. Tony the mayor Michael. of Chicago is a black woman. Um, the Speaker of the House, Chris Welch. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot that. The man yeah, replaced. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Right, exactly. I mean, so there, there is black power in Illinois. And and I, because I, I'm a little older than you, I can go further back than Harold Washington. Uh, Richard Hatcher of Gary, was he was the first black mayor along with Carl Stokes of Cleveland. The two of them were the first black mayors of major cities. This was in 68. And in fact, um, the good citizens of white citizens of Gary were so offended by having a black mayor that they moved to Merrillville. They started <laughs> seriously. They started them. And when I, and I was a student in college during that time, a journalism student. I interviewed this guy, white guy, in um, uh, Glenview. I think is the neighborhood. I'm, I'm forgetting now. It's been so long since I've had a lot to do with Gary. But there was this all-white area in Gary where he was trying to uh, succeed. The whole neighborhood, they were going to succeed from Gary. And I, I interviewed him, and you know, he talked about crime, which, you know, it's, you just don't give people jobs and a decent education, and there might be some crime going on sooner or later. But... But the thing is, the thing is, as, as a result of the George Floyd murder, they had all sorts of um, police chiefs and, and mayors because there was riot uh, protests, uprising going on throughout the country. And I was absolutely floored with how many black mayors there are and how many black police chiefs there are. I mean, it, and, 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 and attorney generals, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, this is across the country. You just saw this. People that you, you never even imagined, you know. I think Denver has a black mayor, for example. Um, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, San Francisco. Well, they had Willie back. Uh, well, yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah he, they had him, he, so it's not new with him. But Talk about black political power, by the way. Willie Brown. We could do a whole show on Willie Brown. Oh, yeah, he was sure. the Michael Madigan of California. He ran yeah, that right. state. Right. You know. Oh no, because he was so wily. Um, when he he sided with the Republicans at one point to get his power. He, he was Willie was a wheeler dealer dealer. I mean, for for sure. And he was Kamala Harris's mentor, but that's a whole other story. So Monroe, yeah. let's let's talk about this from the vantage point of two old fogies, and. Okay. Uh, and let's before we go to the negative, let's stick with the positive. Okay. 
I I, I ran down the uh, reigning theory of politics in uh, well, just not just Chicago, but across the country from the '80s and into the '90s, and that is you can't have more than one candidate of any race in an election or you'll split the vote. That was just like the takeaway. You know, people in Chicago aren't that smart, but that was their takeaway. They figured that out from 83 that you cannot have, because we had two white people running against Harold Washington in the Democratic primary, uh, Byrne and uh, Jane Byrne and Richie Daly. And so everybody figured out you can't have more than one. And you watched it, Monroe. You watched uh, black political activists turning themselves inside and out to try to figure out the one black candidate to run against Richie Daly. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. You could not have more than one. That was, the, and the white people were the same way with Daly. Like nobody else can run but Richie Daly. That was the perfect. Well, this was a, this was after um, Harold became mayor. They were, yes. oh my god, that's, yes. that's when they decided only one white person at that point, because. But, um, what got Harold in office, as, as you know, and, and probably most of your audience, is the split between Byrne and Daly. Yeah. And and but just think about the radical change of mindset that we've lived through, you and I. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I first noticed it when Tony Preckwinkle ran for uh, was victorious in the Democratic primary in 2010 for Cook County Board President. She still holds the office, I believe. There were four uh, black people running in that primary, and there was one white Irishman. And everybody was like, oh, the white guy's going to win. And Tony mopped the floor with them. Right. And that's like, oh, my God, white people are voting for Tony Preckwinkle on the northwest side of Chicago. Right, right, right. I can't believe this. Right, right. You know? Right. And you and I have lived through this, Monroe. White people vote for black candidates now. Except with Harold. He never got majority white vote. No, that was in the 80s. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. no, Obama never got a majority white vote. He got a, he got, he never got a Google it. Oh, yeah. no, no. In the country, but he got in it in Chicago. Country. Oh, yeah. 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 I love him in Chicago. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's a little homeboy. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. But your point's well taken. He never, I don't think a Democrat, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monroe, you would know this. I don't believe a Democrat of any color has received a majority of the white votes since LBJ right. in 1964. Right, right. Which you were a young lad and Gary. Right. Uh, oh no! When when he when LBJ uh, had had the audacity to introduce the voting rights bill, I mean, he himself said it would take a generation for the Democrats to. Re to recover from that in the South. Yeah. Well, actually it's been two generations <laughs> and counting. You know, so. <laughs> it's gonna be a long, this, this is the backlash. This is the new backlash. So we're talking about, I'm trying to accentuate some positives that at least among democratic uh, voters, white people are willing to vote for black candidate. All right, great for you white people. Here's a, a medal, uh, but it's a reality. And the and the results of that reality can be seen, as you just pointed out, uh, in all these figures throughout the country who hold power, right. real legitimate black uh, black power. Right. But in terms of the larger political context, where you factor in MAGA, the South, and the Republican Party, there's a backlash going on. That's every bit as vehement as the one that Harold Washington faced in the 80s. 
or the the anti-busing movement um, a generation before that. Absolutely. But it's targeted at black voters. Yes. You know, it's just like we don't want you to vote. Right. Right. Because you don't vote the way we want you to vote. Yeah. You know, and in the 80s, the thinking was with Harold, because it was new that white people were afraid because they thought if a black got in office, he would do to them what they had done to us. That it'd be a revenge tie. And of course, Harold was fair than fair. <laughs> it, it didn't happen. Um, obviously, Obama, as president, uh, didn't do anything anti-white people. So this whole notion of, well, if they get in office, then um, they're going to they're, they're, they're gonna treat us as badly as, as we treated them. It's not come to fruition. So you don't have that argument anymore. Let me ask you this, Monroe. Uh, the story of Hervis Rogers, you and I talked about it yesterday uh, when we were uh, having one of our off-the-mic political talks, which go on for hours. Uh, we're two obsessive political geeks. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, Hervis Rogers, and he is the 60-something-year-old black man from Texas who's now facing um, charges of uh, vote fraud could result in 20 years in prison, yeah. 20 years. in that's just, that blows my mind that, that if that doesn't send a message uh, to black people in the South as in, don't vote, I don't know what does. Right. If, but if, if Hervis had come out and said, I was a Trump supporter, right. I was waiting in line to vote for Trump. Right. Do you think Ken uh, Paxton would be prosecuting him? No. What's really interesting is all these January 6th rioters and criminals, uh, they're getting slaps on the wrist. They're being released. They're not getting 20 years. And they tried to take over the U.S. government. They, they, uh, 140 cops were uh, injured during the, the, the battle to uh, take over the U.S. government. And, and they're treating them like white-collar criminals. The judges are, for the most part. Uh, you know, and, and even when they're in prison, one, uh, one of the guys was upset because he, he wanted um, 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 what's, what's the yuppie-type food where you don't have chemicals? I'm blanking on it right Vegan? now. Yeah, not vegan, um, organic. Okay, organic, yeah. You want organic food. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Who ever heard of an organic uh, yeah, right. eating Trump MAGA hat? That dude's all mixed up. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know, I mean, they, you know, they, have, they have been treated way better than this guy was treated. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the, 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 this is justice in America. But I could guarantee that if Hervis Rogers had come out and said, I'm for Trump. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, my goodness. He'd be a hero. He'd be on uh, uh, Fox TV. Yeah, and, right. Exactly. You know, Tim Scott would be embracing him. And exactly. Exactly. Ben Carson, et cetera, and so forth. No, I uh, it's it. They're pretty open about it. Uh, the Republicans attitude toward black voters, if black voters vote for them. 
They get celebrated. They get right. rewarded. They get right. put on TV. They get nominated to run for office. Yeah, if they Trump, don't vote for them, they get yeah. thrown in jail. Yeah, my Trump nuts on Facebook, uh, every time they, they find one black person that's for Trump, they, they, they congratulate him or her for being off the Democratic plantation. And, and some of those who like people who are Trump supporters congratulate themselves for being off the Democratic plantation. And he, the, um, those here in Chicago, I've pointed out that not only was the black president of the United States black, but I talk about those people in office in Illinois, blacks in office in, in charge. And if, where is, if this is a plantation, then what's happening on your side? And they never have an answer for that. Can you imagine? Yeah, no. They, <laughs> no, Maggie usually falls apart uh, when you, you just expose them to their own inconsistencies. Uh, all right, since we're talking Trump and MAGA, we'll put aside uh, the issue of bl black political power uh, for the moment. I find it absolutely fascinating what's going on in New York. And probably uh, with Michael Malcolm, we'll get into uh, Eric Adams and uh, the fight against crime and what it symbolizes. Uh, I really, truly think there's an ideological split, obviously, that's uh, symbolized by uh, the um, mayoral race in New York. And the Democratic Party has got to figure out uh, and I know Monroe agrees with me on this one, have got to figure out some kind of strategy for uh, confronting crime uh, in a way that doesn't just cause like a huge fallout among their own political ranks. You know, it's a very real problem in the in exactly. the cities. Exactly. No, the, the 96 uh, crime bill that, that Biden got beat up over, um, the, the Black Caucus approached him to do that because they were afraid of crack cocaine and what a scourge it was going to be. And then they had all these unintentional consequences. Mm. Of course, um, we wouldn't have rap music if it hadn't been, <laughs> been for that. <laughs> this is my reasoning. Because you got all these gangster rappers, you got prison culture, you know, the pants hanging low. The reason the pants were hanging low it became fashionable because they sent so many black men to prison who where they don't let you have a belt because you might hang yourself with it or use it as a weapon. And so um, and the same with shoes and shoelaces. And so you got this whole culture in the black community with, with young men running around with their pants, pants hanging down their butts and their shoes untied. Uh, Monroe Anderson heading into Bill Cosby country right now as we speak. <laughs> if he don't want, that's Monroe Anderson. Those views and opinions belong to Monroe Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> you got any problem with them? Send him to send right. him a letter to Monroe. Right. Uh, right. No, Cosby, uh, you know, Bill Cosby would go around saying that stuff. Uh, when was this in like the nineties? As, as a fact, not to scold. No, I hear you. I got you. Bill, Bill was scolding. Yeah, he was scolding. By the way, what was your when he was scolding? What was your reaction to him when he was scolding? Hey, you jerk! In fact, <laughs> in fact, I wrote a column criticizing him when I was writing for the, the Sun Times, and um, and defending Michael Eric Dyson who was, was beat, beating him up every chance he got. And I know Michael, so Michael contacted me and thanked me for writing the column. 
Yeah, no, uh, Bill Cosby was, uh, that was right before the fall. And now it's so funny. Uh, and, and now he's being champion. Uh, but many black people say, oh, we got out of jail, you know, and it's, uh, it's justice finally prevailed and it was racism. And I'm just shaking my head like, wait a minute. Wasn't this the guy who is talking about rap culture? Oh, I know. I know. But we, uh, we, we live in an unreal world right now, you know, because he's talking about going back on the, the comedy. Uh, yeah, he's he's delusional, Monroe. Yeah, no, okay. that's, that's my guess. Yeah, that's my <laughs> yeah, guess. We'll see, but I can't imagine, uh, what, first of all, what his routine would be. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't how they they didn't have any drugs or women while he's in prison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I um I really can't imagine what his routine would be either. Uh and uh we have a, a lot of political talk ahead of us. Um in what so I think what we're gonna do, we have this new thing, folks. I'm gonna have, let the cat out of the bag. Uh Google Meet has changed and now they put a a, a time limit. It's like Zoom. We got to get off of Google Meet. You hear that, Google? You're going to drive the Ben Jarosky show off of Google Meet. Uh, but Dennis has figured it out. That's why he's the ace uh, producer that he is. So we're going to take a break. We're going to reach out to our next guest uh, when we bring him on, uh, Michael Malcolm. And uh, we're going to continue with Monroe, have a discussion about the latest book on Donald Trump, uh, which uh, I've spent the better part of the morning reading about Michael Bender. Uh, it's unbelievable, the uh, insanity that was happening in the White House uh, in the aftermath, well, leading up to the election, through the election, Michael Bender from Wall Street Journal correspondents just come out a book. Uh, we did win uh, this election, and Monroe shares my obsession with it. Frankly, What's that? We did. frankly, yeah, we did win. <laughs> frankly, we did. How can I forget the frankly part? Uh, so uh, we're going to take a break, and when we return, Monroe will be with me, and Michael Malcolm will be as well. We'll be right back after this. And we're okay. live. Uh, Monroe Anderson is with us as uh, well. Legendary Chicago journalist uh, Monroe Anderson. Michael Malcolm is, of course, a, a, an expert on all things cannabis in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. But he's also very politically active. Uh, and uh, we're going to finish up the conversation we were having, Michael, before we go into uh, discussions of cannabis and uh, policing and all the other issues uh, that you and I were planning to talk about. Uh, but you could join in as well uh, with Monroe Anderson. Uh, so, Monroe, um, you and I have been obsessed. Neither one have read the book, uh, frankly. Well, it's just been out less than a week. So. It's been out for a week. Okay, less yeah. than a week. But we didn't yeah. get it. I figured they would have sent you an advanced copy because uh, if anybody uh, uh, shares this dude's obsession. Uh, but anyway, as I was saying, uh, Michael Bender, Washington uh, Wall Street Journal correspondent for the uh, uh for the White House, covering the White House. Frankly, we did win this election, and I've read a lot about the book. Go ahead. Right. Okay, before we, we discuss the book, I have a pop quiz for you. Uh-oh. Oh, God. Okay, 10 okay. trivia points. Go ahead. Okay. Barack Obama's first year in office. How many books um, in English, the English language, were published about him? Oh, my goodness. How the hell would I know? Uh, in his first year, talk about 2009? Yeah. Uh, five, eight hundred. Holy! <laughs> wow! I was on eight hundred. Good God! And how okay. many of them did you read? Second part. This is double question. Okay, yeah. in his first year in office, how many books in English were published about Donald Trump? So that would have been two thousand and seventeen. Uh, I don't know where you're going with this. So I'll say one hundred. 
What does that mean? Does that mean that there's more money to be made selling books about politicians today? Uh, And both were notorious in their own way, of course. But Trump, you know, I mean, and there's there's a there's a there's a a, an avalanche a book coming out about Trump now. Yeah. This one with with Bender is one of them, and Wolf has another one out too. Yeah, Michael Wolf. Yeah, Michael Wolf has another one out. Now, the the thing is, Michael Wolf's uh, expose, which came out, I believe, is one of the books that came out in 2007, or maybe it was t- 2018. I remember when it came out. Uh, what was it? Fury was in the title. Yeah, like, Fury yeah, was right, in the title. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had contacts. He had insider contacts. Well, he in the was White House. More, he was in the White House. Yeah, he was <laughs> in the White House. <laughs> just sitting around, and they just ignored him. You know, he was a fly on the wall. But here's the thing, Monroe, and we'll get into the specifics. And uh, Michael Malcolm, you can weigh in as well. But the reality is that Donald Trump, it's so weird. Donald Trump is a twisted dude, man, on many levels. But this just this one particular level. So I'm reading about the Michael Bender book, and he's outraged Trump is by leaks. Okay, like leaks coming out of the White House uh, about, um, you know, that he was in a bunker. He was that's what really irritated him. (laughs) Because he's a tough guy. Yeah. And that's you could say he doesn't care, you know, if you say that he was uh, making phone calls to politi- uh, to election judges in Georgia or Michigan to try to get them to throw out there. He doesn't care about that. He brags about that. Right. But if you say he's a whip. He calls from Putin in the middle of the night. That's OK. <laughs> that's OK. But if you say he's a wimp who's hiding out in the uh, a bunker in the basement because he's afraid of Black Lives Matter protesters. He wants investigation, journalists, phones, records uh, secured, et cetera, and so forth. And he wanted the U.S. Army to go out and shoot him. That is so deep, man. Yeah. He wanted to shoot him in the legs. Shoot him in the legs. That's like daily. This is uh, uh, Michael Malcolm. This goes way back before your time. But uh, Richard uh, J. Daly, the mayor of the city of Chicago in 1968. Uh, when uh, the rioting broke out on the West Side after Martin Luther King was killed, Monroe remembers this, yeah. uh, said, shoot to kill, uh, what was it, arsonists, and shoot to wound um, looters. Like, yeah. how, how, how are you going to be able to, like, what do these think, they're marksmen? You know what I mean? Oh, well, I'm just going to shoot this guy in the leg. Exactly. But I was oh, no, right, I know. You know, what's funny is I, I have a friend who was, we go to the uh, gun range in in the south suburbs. Mm-hmm. He he go there to shoot, and he said the joke out there was, if you don't want to be shot by a Chicago policeman, run in a straight line. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you really are channeling your inner Bill Cosby. Yeah, I wouldn't advise that either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Monroe, uh, one of the. Um, one of the most telling aspects of uh, the book, Michael Bender's book, and he actually had access to people in the White House. I believe I believe these anecdotes because Trump's insane. But there's an exchange between Donald Trump and John Kelly, right. who was chief of staff uh, for uh, Trump at this point, a former military man himself. And Trump says, and they quote him, well, Hitler did a lot of good things. And John Kelly says to him, you cannot say anything supportive of Hitler. You just <laughs> can't. Right. You would think Donald Trump would know enough. Uh, well, said, Don Trump had Trump had Mein Kampf on his his bedside book, uh, nightlight in his bedroom. 
Well, well, my thing is that all the people who continue to serve, even though they knew all these things about them, it's like they, but they stood beside them that whole time. And, you know, it took how many different things did he have to stay and do for them to actually leave? Like, you know, a lot of these people, it seems like their stories are a little self-serving. Well, first of all, most people stay with him uh, until he fired them, it seems like, or until the bitter. You had to get fired by Trump. Uh, The the cult of Donald Trump is really, uh, Monroe and Michael, one of the most baffling things I've seen in politics. I've uh, I've been following politics for a long time. Go ahead, Monroe. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the people who stayed with him are now saying and and telling stories, these books that are coming out, but telling stories about how Trump would have been much, much worse if they hadn't been there to to rein him in. Right. Well, that's see, that's the self-serving part. And that's what any one of these books that comes out based on uh, the recollections of people who are in the White House. You have to read between the lines because, as Monroe just pointed out, most of these recollections will be intended to shield the people who are offering the recollections from any culpability in the insanity of Donald Trump. That's their purpose. And uh, and they're protecting themselves. Yet at the same time, you do get a sense of the madness of Donald Trump. But. I'm more afraid, uh, Michael Monroe, of the unyielding support of MAGA to Trump and the fact that the Republican Party, the the other so-called leaders, and I got leaders in quote of the Republican Party, are incapable of breaking their party away from Donald Trump. And so here we are. What has it been now? uh, seven months or six months since Joe Biden was sworn in and the Republican Party is still dedicated to the notion that there was election fraud in the 2020 presidential election, that Joe Biden was not um, really elected, that uh, Donald Trump was cheated out of it, and that voter fraud is such a threat that they're going to throw Hervis Rogers into jail and they're going to prosecute him in Texas. Uh, he's facing 20 years in prison. Monroe and Michael, they've not yielded in any way at all from the central premises, central thesis of Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a a bigger uh, statement on our general society right now where uh, social media conspiracies kind of rule the day and people don't care about facts and reality. Like that's I think that's the bigger proof. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's. To me, it's almost easy to blame the Trump supporters, but you see some of the same things on the other side, even when things when it comes to, you know, the virus and vaccinations, like people have all type of conspiracies. And, you know, even on a lighter note, you know, astrology and just people are just very tribal right now. And they're like, that's what's ruling the day I'm seeing, especially on social media. All right. Before we move to uh, what's going on in Illinois and Chicago on a matter of cannabis and uh, crime issues, Monroe, I do have to ask you one thing about the insanity of MAGA when it comes uh, to uh, the pandemic. Following up on what Michael said, uh, I, I see evidence all the time that we're about to have another surge. And I, I this one, there's no doubt in my I mind. Mean, I. I don't know who else to. There's blame. There's culpability. It's Republican Party, and the fact that they're not promoting uh, the uh, 
vaccinations, Monroe, the fact that they uh, have allowed this to turn into this, you know, uh, uh, a political dispute as though there is a Democratic and Republican ideology on this matter as opposed to just an overall medicinal matter is threatening the country. We had, you and I were just talking about this in Tennessee. They fired uh, Michelle uh, Fiscus, who was the health director. Uh, she says it was backlash by Republican uh, legislators who thought she'd gone too far in pushing teenagers to get the shots. I mean, well, we're, in, we're in serious problems in this country right now when, when uh, something is as basic as health advice uh, has become a political tool. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's tribal now. And so, and because we liberals and Biden and um, sane Americans are for the vaccination, then they aren't. And uh, to show how much they're against it and us, they're now um, saying you can't get any vaccinations whatsoever. You can't get your kids vaccinated in Tennessee. In Tennessee. Yeah, which is just amazing. That is astounding, man. And, you know, it's not like I could just, well, it's just Tennessee. I mean, it's, you know, uh, the virus just doesn't contain itself to Tennessee. Right. So someone gets a virus, Tennessee comes to Illinois, someone in Illinois is going to get it. Now, you and I are uh, vaccinated, Monroe. Right. Uh, and so we're, quote, unquote, protected. Right. But, you know, there's a large portion of the population in Illinois. I think it's in the 40s uh, percent that's not vaccinated. Right. So if they it's it's a problem that we face in Illinois, if they get sick. It overloads the hospitals and uh, the doctors and the nurses, etc. So, so we're right not, back where we started. Go ahead. Yeah, so it may not overload it as it was a year ago, simply because uh, two thirds of adults in this country are now vaccinated, uh, and and well, two thirds of Americans are, are vaccinated right now. Uh, so you you have that much of the pop not not. not it, not counting the kids, of course, but you you have that much protected now. So, but when it's going to be pockets that will have that problem, um, and those pockets will be mainly among um, MAGA folks and minorities, blacks who have who are highly fascinated because of uh, the Tuskegee experiment which was four generations ago or something but there's but there's long memory for that they just don't trust the the health um, industry at all so they are vaccinated hispanics are vaccinated in large numbers because um some are legal and some aren't some got papers or some don't and then the MAGA people who proudly the show that, uh, you know, and what's really funny about that is Trump is vaccinated, Pence is vaccinated, uh, uh, all, all the Fox people are vaccinated that are telling them don't get vaccinated. I mean, it's just amazing. No, not, it, o- not only are they vaccinated, but they took experimentals. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Not even approved. Right, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Man, when Trump had it, you're right, uh, Michael. When Trump had, had COVID, he was, give me whatever you got, Doc. Right, exactly, right, exactly. 
If and someone had said reefer helps you, you've been smoking a joint. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, right. All right, that's a perfect way of transitioning uh, to Michael Malcolm and Monroe Anderson. Would love this because back in the day, Monroe Anderson was known to enjoy a little cannabis from time to time. Uh, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, and dime bags only. Dime bags <laughs> okay. only. It was a long time ago. I think last Tuesday. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, so Michael, let's get an update. Uh, first of all, tell folks who you are, how they can follow you, and all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so my name is Michael Malcolm. I'm a realtor here in Chicago. I'm also the founder of the Weed Travel Food blog. Um, I have my uh, company, WTF Consulting. I'm going after licenses here um, in Chicago. I currently have 10 dispensary uh, applications in uh, for licenses that I'm still waiting to hear back from the state on. Um, but in the meantime, I work with different uh, cannabis companies across the country on everything from product development to community engagement. I also teach cannabis marketing and branding at Olive Harvey College right now. All right. He knows a thing or two about uh, the cannabis game. And uh, by the way, I'm really happy to say this tomorrow. Wanda James will be a guest on this show. Wanda, we oh, nice. Out. I know. That was quite a get. And I'm really happy to, that she'll be back. Uh, she is a powerhouse and has a lot to say on this issue. Let's yeah, talk about uh, this is, of course, uh, Michael, I'm going to try to I'm going to let you go on the soapbox opposed to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the state of Illinois has really dropped the ball. Uh, on getting licenses out to black entrepreneurs uh, since it, the cannabis was legalized it was about two years ago. I can't remember. I've lost track of time. Uh, but uh, it seems as though there's movement on that front. So update us on this. Yeah. So, I mean, the most recent thing that happened was that the state legislator uh, allegedly uh, just passed um, new legislation to add additional licenses to um, that are going to be issued out for uh, dispensaries because the issue was that they had put a, a veteran clause in there where a veteran has to be 51% owner and uh, control of the company for you to score 100% of the available points. So the state's way of remedying that issue, because people like myself found that to be discriminatory against all non-vets. Um, and uh, so the state's way of uh, remedying the issue was that they were going to issue an additional 110 licenses uh, to the 75 that they were originally going to issue. Uh, the problem, as far as I'm concerned, is that um, the issue was out of the 252 points that were available, we only had an issue with the two points that was the veteran points. Um, my, I would have been happy if they struck out the two points and then everyone, you know, they had top scores, you know, was graded from that on. The way that the state did it was they dropped uh, the entry into the lottery down to 85%. So all you now have to score is 85% of the available points, and now you're into the lottery. So it's not really based off of merit anymore or how good your application is. It's purely chance, and it's going to be a bad situation I foresee coming, uh, moving forward, not only because I, I'm fearful of, people who are maybe not so qualified getting licenses, you know, not me. Um, but uh, not only that, but it's going to be a strain, extreme strain on supply. They were already going to issue 75 licenses, and everyone thought that was going to be crazy, uh, issuing 70 new, uh, 75 new retail uh, stores without new supply. Um, and now they're going to release 190 or 185 new stores. Again, no new supply. So what that's going to do is that's going to – expedite the sale of these licenses to the exact people who the state didn't want them to go to in the first place because people aren't going to be able to put 
product on the shelf. So what are they going to do? They're going to sell because bird in the head is better than two in the bush, you know? So in other words, uh, if I understand you correctly, uh, let's say uh, a black entrepreneur, we'll call him Bob, gets a license. Uh, he can't get access to cannabis to uh, to sell to his customers. So what he'll do is sell his license to uh, Billy. Let's just call him Billy, uh, an enormous conglomerate uh, that already has 10 licenses. And so Billy has even more power than he already had. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Let's call him Cresco. No, <laughs> no, but uh, yes, exactly. I was trying to cover it up a little bit. Yeah, Michael, yeah, but yeah. Go ahead. So, yes. No, that is that is the fear that, yes, yeah. people uh, the, the, that's a large. And again, it doesn't even have to be the multi-state operators, just people who have millions and billions of dollars that can afford to lose money for a year or two just to hold on to those licenses, whereas social equity applicants in most cases can't. They need to be able to hit the ground and run, and it's going to be very difficult moving forward with the limited supply and so many uh, retailers uh, wanting to put it out. Because you have to think about it. All the licensed operators right now have complete control over the supply. They're all vertically integrated. So that means that they grow the product and they also sell the product. So even if I were to get everything that I am asking for, which is my licenses, all they're giving me the, a chance to do is to sell their product. And I'm cutting in on their dollars. So they have zero incentives to give me any product. You know? well, why, could, why couldn't you grow your own? I mean, uh, because, because marijuana is, is, is not that difficult to grow. No, that's a great question. Well, again, state law, any, any, anything that is grown in Illinois uh, for commercial use has to be licensed. Well, I mean, but if you got your license... Then besides selling it, why can't you grow it also? That's what I meant. It's a it's a separate license. It's a cultivation okay. license. Okay. There's, there's there's even a license for transportation. You can't even transport it uh, if it's over a certain uh, weight, a certain quantity. You can't even transport it from location to another without a license. Okay. Now this is my other question for you. Mm, sure. Why wouldn't the people who are already selling the stuff and well versed at it get the first shot at it to begin with? Who who ran the risk for many many years of going to jail and sometimes did go to jail as as entrepreneurs? Why wouldn't they get? Seems like that would be the first person that you, you, you give it to. Sure. I mean, I think to me, the, the most obvious answer is big money interest. Right. So the first people who got the licenses were the people who th could afford to pay the tremendous, the tremendous fees that were associated with the medical round. That happened when, in 2015 when Rahner enacted the medical licenses. And at that time, it was $250,000. You had to have $250,000 on reserve that you weren't going to use for operations. The application fee itself was was fifty thousand dollars non-refundable, and you have to. Ha and in addition to all that it costs to write the application, you also had to have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in reserve that was not going to be used for the operations of your business. So that basically lets you know who they wanted to have licenses. Right. So the social equity licenses that I'm up for now is the state's acknowledgement that they messed up and that they that people like I qualify as social equity because I have been arrested for cannabis in the past. So that is what qualifies me. And so that that's what the social equity program is. OK, when you say you were arrested for cannabis, I know you said this the last time we were on the show. I just can't remember. What was the particular charge? 
Oh, it was a small amount. I was doing something really stupid. I was driving through Glenwood, Illinois, South Suburbs, with uh, smoking weed with tinted windows and 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 speakers in my trunk. <laughs> hey, man, you were driving. You were smoking and driving. Smoking, drive bright sunny day. <laughs> it, it seemed it seemed like a stupid thing at the time, but now I mean I'm on a show with you guys, so I guess it wasn't all that bad. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. You're about to get a license, baby. But here's the deal: the point that Monroe was getting at with his question was an excellent point. And we, Monroe and I are again, this is the age thing, I always bring it up. We're old enough to remember when the lottery came in and it took the numbers racket out of business. Basically, yeah. the lottery is just the numbers. Yeah. And the numbers was run as the rackets uh, in black neighborhoods for years. And it was black people, you know, and maybe I, the, the, the Italian mob may have been overseeing the whole thing. But well, they moved in and muscled in. They, they were, yeah. It wasn't theirs initially. Initially. Yeah. Monroe knows a lot about this. He's written about this and studied it. The thing is, as soon as you, quote, unquote, legalize a vice, Michael Malcolm, Black people get thrown out of the, the equation. And Monroe's point's a good one. Like all these years when Reefer was illegal, it was a lot, there were a lot of quote unquote black entrepreneurs selling it. Yeah. And at tremendous risk. Street entrepreneurs, I call them. Say that again? <laughs> Street entrepreneurs. Street entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. now that it's legal, well, uh, you know, it, it's it's a combination of like the war on drugs, uh, Michael Malcolm. So, you know, it's bad that you did it when it was illegal, but it's OK to do it when it's legal. But you need a lot of money up front to uh, get off the ground because they gave the advantage to the medical marijuana community at the outset. And it's just you just see all these obstacles that are placed in front of uh Black people, black entrepreneurs, and they're essentially, we've seen, locked out of this market. Go ahead. Yeah, for 100%. And again, like I said, the current operators have 0% of sharing the industry with anyone who wants to get in, the new applicants like myself, because they're making, for the month of April and the month of May, $150 million in sales each month. And that's only for the state of Illinois, $150 million in sales each month. So again, they have zero incentive to give me a license. <laughs> Wait, $150 million a month in sales of cannabis. For Illinois For alone. Illinois. I got Illinois it. Illinois alone. Uh, we had in the show, what was I'm losing track of time, yesterday, uh, State Representative LaShawn Ford, who's been very critical uh, of the state for its rollout. Uh, and uh, he uh, gave a little shout out to Pritzker. And I'll tell you what he said and then get your response, uh, Michael okay. Malcolm. Uh, he said that he was very critical of Pritzker, but what he gave Pritzker credit for was that when he criticized Pritzker for the rollout and blasted him, he did along with Ricky Hendon, a good friend of his show, former uh, state senator Ricky Hendon. When when they blasted uh, Pritzker, uh, he, according to LaShawn Ford, uh, Pritzker called him up and said, I have to do this right. I want to make amends. So in other words, Pritzker didn't get offended by it uh, and he didn't freeze him out, lock him out and just pretend as though the problem didn't exist. Uh, so that was LaShawn Ford's uh, take on things with Pritzker and the rollout. What's your take on things, Michael Malcolm? I would agree with that. But like I said, uh it, number one, they messed it up from the very beginning, right? And so we can't just like brush that over because it gives a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people that are, are going to be able to take an advantage of the things that were initially messed up and a lot of people that are going to be put at, at a disadvantage. So them acknowledging it 
I mean, I guess it goes so far, you know what I mean? But then I think the bigger issue for me is that when they try to remedy the issue, whereas, again, like I said, the main issue was two points out of 252. Instead of addressing, say, okay, you can just qualify. Whoever doesn't score, have those two points, the top scores can still get into lottery. They lowered the threshold to 85%. That means that, again, it's a lottery. So I can have a top score. That still doesn't guarantee that I'm going to get a license. But by lowering it to 85%, it then takes away all of the, 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 um, like I said, the, the need for you to actually have a quality license. You can put in a B uh, a, a, a score B and still okay. go ahead, Michael. For for non business people like me, sure. Could you explain the point system? Because I, I, you know, when you talk about it, could you explain that how that sure. works? Sure. And very simply, it's just that um, you. So again, it's an application, and each section of the application is uh, has a, uh, a score, a point value to it. Right. Those yeah. points in total equal two hundred and fifty two. And the main issue why the licenses have been held up to, to this point, because our applications were turned in January 2nd, 2020. So we've been waiting over a year and a half now for these licenses. Right. Okay. And the reason that has been held up is because of two points. This is one of the reasons why it was held up is because of two points, because the way, again, that the law is written, the only way for you to get 100 percent of the available points, these two to get those two points specifically is if your entire company has 51 is 51% owned and controlled by a veteran. So again, yeah. I have people that, that, and again, I have a, my, and I like to say this all the time. I hate to have, I have to say this again. I feel like the state put people against each other. I hate that. I have to say, I have nothing against veterans. Right. So it's not about, oh, they shouldn't be allowed. It's just that this is not a veteran program. This is a veteran for people who have specifically been um, identified by the state been, uh, to been negatively affected by the war on drugs. Either you have been arrested for a cannabis um, crime in the past or your immediate family member has. Now, how, much, how many points is it for that? Uh, over 50. Okay. I want to say 50 to 65, something like okay. that. Yeah, it's a huge. If you are not a social equity applicant, there's no reason for you to apply because there's no way you're going to be able to make up those points. Mm-hmm. And then but, always the yeah, threat. Okay, but, now, if, I, if, if I had the 50,000 to put in and I had the 250,000 that I wouldn't use uh, for the operation, could, could, would I have a shot at it now or that day has come and gone? Okay, so a little bit of clarity on that. Another re- another thing that the state did with the social equity applications is that they lowered those fees. So okay. the two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar in reserve does not even apply, and they took the fifty thousand dollar application free fee and reduced it to twenty five hundred. Oh, wow. so okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's still it was still extremely expensive to write an application, and most people that I know that. Um, paid for consultants because the the application was very detailed and was very specific, right? Yeah. And most people that I heard that were offering to write applications, the price I believe I heard somebody quote as low as thirty thousand, but I was hearing everywhere for mostly between eighty to a hundred thousand dollars to get your application filled out, as much as a hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. wow! Yeah, there's a there's a dollar amount assigned yeah. to the the value of my application that was turned in yeah. that dollar amount that just the what my paperwork is worth yeah right one application is worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars 
That's just what my paperwork is worth, is value that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now one other, Captain. <laughs> sure. Thing, okay. Um, get, could you give us a, a, a two or three examples of other ways to get points? You know, what's on the application? So we get an sure. idea of how, how they're manipulating this thing. Sure. You also had to have a floor plan. You had to have, even though you didn't have to have the real estate, but you had to have some type of architectural drawings or sketching to show how your floor plan and layout was going to be. Um, you also had to have a security plan. Now, you can imagine people who have never, cannabis just became legal last year. So these right. people who are applying, most of them have never worked in a dispensary or even in a legal state or even been into one because it was medical for so long and the and the requirements to get into medical were so high, getting a medical card just to purchase. Yeah. So most people have zero idea of what it's actually gonna take for security. I'll give you another great example. One thing that when the scores came out last year, how I knew everything was botched, when I didn't score points for my Illinois residency. The scorer said that I didn't show that I, I was from Illinois, even though I've only lived in Illinois my entire life. <laughs> and, and I'm partnered with a multi-billion dollar multi-state operator. And we, had, we all have had tons of attorneys that reviewed our paperwork, right? So I know my paperwork was tight, but I didn't get five points on my scores initially because they said I didn't show Illinois residency. So this is to show you like some of the things that they wanted us to show and have. And again, Illinois residency was worth five points. So well, have you been able to show your driver's license or your yeah. utility bill to prove that you, you were an Illinois resident? Yeah. Well, uh, again, to, well, just to be fair, yeah. um, what you had to show was that you uh, have been an Illinois resident uh, 10 out of the last 15 years. Oh, okay. And uh, you have the proof of that. I do have the proof of that. Yeah, so <laughs> it sounds like the people running the and I, uh, and I provided it as well. I did provide it. The the people running the cannabis program in the state of Illinois are heading to the Trump country. They're treating uh, it's like getting black people in Texas to vote. You got to really prove a lot of things before right. they let you vote. Yeah, exactly. Uh, throw, <laughs> but, 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 but but if you have a gun license, then that's good enough. You can well, vote <laughs> in Illinois. I'm not in. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, I, I, to your point, even more though, right? I mean, how ridiculous it is. Again, I'm a licensed real estate agent. I've been selling real estate in uh, Illinois. Uh, I got my license in 2010. Uh, I'm an at properties agent. I can help you guys, you gentlemen, make the most expensive purchase you can ever make in your life. Right? I can advise you on your family's. Uh, you know, uh, wealth and what you do with your family inheritance, right? I'm, a, I'm, I can sell as much real estate as I want, but I can't sell you a twenty dollar bag of weed. What sense does that make, right? Yeah. I can help people make the most important purchase they will ever make in their life, but I can't sell you weed, right? Uh, it as, makes as, no sense. As, makes as, no sense. as a black man who has studied and written about racism for half a century. I can tell you that the system makes is it keeps the white richer and the black poor. It's simple as simple as that. No, it's true. It's evidence to that as well. Uh, that the those views by Monroe Anderson probably have as much to do with anything as why uh, wherever he went. The white people who ran those publications said, enough of this guy. And, uh, he's a troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. Michael Malcolm, they've been calling Monroe Anderson a troublemaker in this town since I moved here in 1981. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, but he's absolutely right. 
I mean, he, Monroe was just speaking the truth there, Michael. That is so true. And it's somehow or other, they trotted out this program and all these white guys are getting richer. <laughs> black people are getting nothing, even though it was black people who paid the biggest price in the war on drugs. No, that's true. And I think, I think, Monroe, I would love to hear your response to this. You know, I think, I, I kind of think back to the social equity. I kind of compare it to the civil rights movement a lot, you know, where obviously the civil rights movement was necessary. But um, even though it was mostly black people that were marching about what things that were unfair to them, everyone benefited yes. when the laws got passed. It wasn't specific to black people. Right. So I think we're seeing a lot of that happen right now where I know people who live in West Town. Right. Because but and because what I know, attorneys, I know white um, attorneys that live in West Town. And because that area historically was a, a disproportionately impacted area, they qualify as social equity. Right. And they're <laughs> and they make over one hundred thousand a year. Right. And no. have and have never been arrested. But because they live in this area, they qualify. And the reason why that is, is because we can't, the law state that you can't, again, you can't give people licenses because they're black. So the way the state had yeah, to divide it is by geography. Against white people. That yeah. would be fair. Yep. Well, not, not just white people. I mean, they, this is a larger subject we're going into, but like, for instance, the uh, affirmative action programs at uh, Harvard are being challenged by Asian American groups. Yeah. And right. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Right. I, 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 I'm like, don't you you talk about critical race theory and critical race history. Anybody in this country, I don't care what your ethnicity is. Asian American, Jewish American, Iranian American. What? A, you just study the history. Who got screwed the most? Black people. Right. And I'm just this is me speaking. It's just. Yeah. And so now any attempt to remedy that and do some justice, it's just you're always going to find someone, a white guy, an Asian-American. Just no, I'm not getting mine. I'm like, can we take care of the black people first? Yeah, right. right, <laughs> ben, ben, to your point, though, that's actually kind of like what I was saying before when you asked me about what LaShawn Ford said about Pritzker's addressing the issues right he did address the issues and a, an, another issue that he addressed was that one of the other ways that you qualify as social equity in illinois besides being arrested for cannabis and, and besides living in a disproportionately impacted area there's a third way which we call the slave master clause whereas if uh someone a, a, a company hires uh, their employees, 51% of them live or come from those disproportionately impacted areas, the company qualifies as social <laughs> equity applicants. That's how people like <laughs> Phil Stefani, yeah. Phil Stefani is a social equity applicant. And for people who don't know who Phil Stefani is, yeah. the owner of on Tavern Hill Rush. Yeah. He right. is part of a social equity applicant group. <laughs> who came up with that, the slave master clause? Was that you? <laughs> Did you come up with that? Phil yeah, wasn't a slave master. I mean, how does he get a benefit from that? 
No, no, so- it's metaphorical slave master. In other words, like the three fifth ruling in the Constitution that says uh, black people count toward the number of congressmen you have, but they can't vote. So what they're saying is that if you hire black people to run your, uh, oh. your operation, you'll get credit for As being so social equity. Yeah, just for it's- them, just for them working for you. you. You you hire them, and now your company is a social. Did, equity did Ricky Henry come up with that? That sounds like something Ricky might. Who, well, well, let me tell you. No, no. Who came up with the slave mat? The, the, the. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I just wanted to get to the fix, right? So the fix, the way that the state addressed this was that again, when they added the additional licenses, there. So they're still going to have the seventy-five uh, license uh, lottery round, which is we're calling now the veteran round, because everyone that's going to be in that lottery are all veterans, right? And then there's two uh, additional licenses of fifty-five. Um, two additional lotteries, fifty-five licenses being given away um in each and um sorry and um though and the way that they're going to address it is that for the second lottery people who qualify for social equity through the slave master clause you know that's what we call it they won't be included in that second lottery but only in the first so that's what i'm saying like they messed it up so those people are still going to have an opportunity and yeah did they address it and by giving new licenses and saying they can't enter into the second lottery, but they can be in the first round? Yes, but they're still going to get a shot. And so they're still going to be able to take advantage of the mistakes that were made. Yeah. And so they can still say, oh, well, we fixed it and everything. Yeah, they but still people still, money. And they yeah, still they big bucks. Yeah, they're still going to get some licenses. Uh, Michael, moving on uh, to uh, other topics I want to talk to you with. This, we could do a whole show on this one. but uh, <laughs> See, <I'm> uh, <laughs> uh, And I know I'll be talking to Wanda James tomorrow about Shakiri Richardson. That's a particular obsession of mine. Yeah. Uh, the great uh, Olympic runner who will not be allowed to participate because she tested positive for cannabis. Man, when are they going to end the war on drugs? It's insane. So I'm going to hold off on Shakiri for a moment. And ask you about something you mentioned to me, the whole issue of open consumption. And I hadn't yeah. thought about this until you mentioned this to me before we went on the air. Uh, and uh, I was, you know, they legalized cannabis, uh-huh. but it's still illegal. Monroe, follow me on this one. You can't walk down the street smoking a joint. You can walk down the street smoking a cigarette. Uh, right. But you cannot walk down the street smoking a joint. And so what's the status of consumption, open consumption laws in this state right now? It is not allowed. In fact, it's so ridiculous. If you're in downtown Chicago or in River North, where some of the closer dispensaries are, and you purchase out that dispensary, there's nowhere you can legally smoke most places unless you go to a private residence. You are not allowed to smoke on the streets in Illinois. You are not allowed to smoke in your car in Illinois, whether it's moving or not. And in most places, because Illinois has some of the strictest clean air uh, laws in the country, you're not allowed to smoke inside of the building or near a door. <laughs> so you, there's almost no place to actually smoke. And again, they're selling $150 million of this product, and it's still technically illegal to use it in most well, places. Can, can you walk down the street drinking a beer legally in Chicago? 
I think if it's in uh, a bag. It's, it's, if it's covered, yeah. yeah. You can't show it. Yeah. And, and to give it's you covered. just... <laughs> <laughs> well, why can't you cover your joy? <laughs> well, I think that's what most people do. <laughs> they just cup it. You just cup it with your hand. But just, just to give you an idea, though, of like how other states are doing it, though, the state of New York, and I, and I did double-check this, Ben, uh, the state of New York just passed a law that cannabis is legal there now, and you can legally smoke anywhere in the state of New York where you can smoke cigarettes. Okay, so yeah, they're ahead of us on that one. Yeah. Uh, and I, by the way, I, this is one of my favorite uh, inconsistencies. I, I point this out all the time. I pointed it out for years before uh, cannabis was legal. Uh, every year, the city of Chicago proudly uh, turns up over Grant Park for Lollapalooza. And Lollapalooza is basically a giant uh, come smoke your reefer celebration. And it's a coming of age thing for kids who are like when they hit 14 or 15 or 16, they go, oh, wow, man, I get to smoke my reefer out and open. No one's going to bother me. And the city of Chicago made it clear. We're not going to touch you. In fact, we had a field day, Michael Malcolm, back in the, about eight years ago comparing arrests like who got arrested on the west side for smoking reefer while a hundred thousand whatever it is uh celebrants of Lollapalooza were openly smoking it so i just like it's one more example of the utter hypocrisy in this country when it comes to marijuana and i will never tire of pounding this drum because i do believe it's uh it's rooted in race and it gets back to the same issues that Monroe and I were talking about. When black people start exercising political power, there's a backlash. Uh, your thoughts on all this, Michael? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I will also say that uh, when it comes to Lollapalooza, I believe cannabis is the least problematic drug people need to be worried about out there. I think a lot of other things get consumed as well. And, uh, and yeah, I think the open consumption laws here in Illinois, number one, it just, you know, Illinois is just lame. There, there's no other way to put it. I mean, if you go into a dispensary, you can't look at the product before you buy it. You can't smell it. That's the way I've been in dispensaries all over the country. That's the way most people pick their product. They you look can't at do it. that here? No, you can't look or smell at it. You can't even touch the container in the store. That's how, again, it is lame, 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 lame. And you, so that you can't smoke it outside. <laughs> you can't, you can't do anything. And so I think that, you know, as this market matures, this is industry matures in this market, I should say, I, I hope, and that's one of my goals, as much as I'm complaining, I do have goals and some solutions as to where we can do some of these things. And open consumption, I think, is a long way to not only make it, make it make more sense, but also add to the culture of Illinois Canada. Well, the open consumption thing, I mean, we have a long way to go to that. And I'll tell you, give an example. It's been a while because the pandemic put a lot of things on hold, but there was a lot of debate and discussion. We had it here in the show, whether they would have a downtown dispensary and the, the, the opposition to downtown dispensary. I'm not making this up, Michael Malcolm. You know this as well as I do is that scare off. Uh, the tourists that they'd see like the tourists, a family from Iowa. I don't know. They always say Iowa. They always poor Iowa, like they're a bunch of dorks. Uh, so some farmer from Iowa would be visiting with his kid and they would go by a dispensary and the kid go, daddy, what's that? And the daddy would have to explain, well, the big city of Chicago, they sell marijuana on the street. And that'd be like, oh, my God, I'll scare off. They won't come. OK, nobody will yeah. show up at Navy Pier. I always thought, my God, are you kidding me? The tourists are coming because they can get reefer in Chicago. Of course. This is just utter of course. insanity. No. Uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just real briefly, I was going to say that's actually uh, how I got to media attention the very first time. And I went to the very first zoning meeting uh, that Chicago had at Malcolm X in the summer, late summer, or late summer, early fall of 2019, when they were talking about allowing dispensaries to be downtown. And I raised my hand and I told them that it didn't make any sense because one of the other things they said, oh, they're worried about congestion and crowds and all this other stuff. And I said, this is Chicago. People line up for gym shoes and iPhones and popcorn and ice cream and donuts. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so to say that people can line up like, and I think again, that just like you were saying, I think it adds to the stigma because like, what do you think people like, do you think it's going to be like Skid Row or something like that? Because they opened up a dispensary it doesn't make any sense.